Welcome to the Peppered Podcast, where food and beverage marketing professionals get seasoned talk on how to grow and manage their brands. Hey everyone, this is Jamie Allabach coming at you on the Peppered Podcast. I am excited today to have Krishna Kalyanan, founder of Catalina Crunch, on the show today. Catalina Crunch is a better-for-you cereal brand that could be equated somewhat to a healthier version of Cocoa Puffs and some of your other favorite cereals that you had when you were a kid. Uh, It's hailed as a breakthrough in cereal science. Catalina Crunch has the same light, crunchy texture and delicious sweet taste of the cereals that we all grew up with loving, but with none of the bad ingredients and low in carb. Um, in addition to a great brand and a great product, uh, Krishna also has an incredible story behind his product. And those of you that know me know that I love a great story behind a brand. So let's get to the show and learn a little bit more about Krishna and Catalina Crunch. Krishna, welcome to the Peppered Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. I got uh, did some research on your product and on you, and it's I think we've got a got a great show ahead of us. So I'm excited to talk about your brand. I'm excited to talk about the Catalina Crunch. But before we get into that, I want to talk a bit about your story. See, I love for 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 those of you that are regular listeners listeners to the show, you know I love a love a great story, and I think that. You know, brands that have that real genuine story, that authentic story, the meaning behind why they are, these brands just tend to go so much further, especially with uh, with the millennial crowd. So, so I love I love hearing hearing people's stories. So, why don't you just give us give us a little bit about about how you came upon this product, you know, what was kind of your, your, your starting point as to why you did it and, and how it evolved from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, <laughs> that's a long story, to be honest. I would have to go back starting to my starting point uh, would be when I was 18 years old. I was actually a senior in uh, college, um, so this is now a decade ago. Um, and sorry, a senior in high school a decade ago. <laughs> um, and I was actually diagnosed with both diabetes, type one diabetes, as well as epilepsy at the same time. Um, and that's really where kind of all this began. Um, you know, prior to that, I was, uh, kind of, you know, student athlete, I was in really good shape and I also did not care very much about what I ate. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I ate a lot of Cocoa Puffs and Cinnamon Toast Crunch for breakfast, a lot of burgers and fries and fast food for lunch and, you know, things like that. But, you know, when you're young and you're growing and you're running around a lot, you know, it doesn't really make too big of a difference on yeah, you. Yeah, sounds um, like a typical diet for a young person, right? <laughs> yep, yep, exactly, exactly. Um, and, yes, I had that, I had, I'd say I was pretty, pretty typical uh, eating regimen just like anyone else. <laughs> um, and uh, then, you know, after I was diagnosed with both of these um, terrible diseases, uh, I was strongly encouraged by my doctors to uh, to change things up. Um, and I don't know how many folks know this, but um, keto, uh, which is so popular now, was actually originally invented by a group of neuroscientists who thought that um, it might be able to help out uh, folks with epilepsy. Um, and so I actually was um, started on keto about 10, 11 years ago as a result of the urging of my doctor. Um, and um, so that's kind of where this all began. Um, and now, you know, I think what, what became difficult was, you know, and fast forwarding to today is there are just not a lot of options for folks who are eating keto or low carb. Um, it's, you know, it's very, very difficult to find things. Um, I remember when I first was diagnosed, you know, I'm sitting in the hospital and the diabetes, you know, nutritionist is, is telling me about um, how to count carbs and what you can and you can't eat, what's going to spike your blood sugar, what isn't, um, and then kind of the ins and outs of keto. And I then went to the grocery store thinking, oh, you know, I'll just find some options, won't be a big deal. And, you know, it turns out there's very little. <laughs> um, I remember finding, really, after going through the entire store, only eggs for breakfast uh, or cottage cheese for breakfast and then um, like nuts to snack on during the day. Um, And so that made life difficult. Uh, And it was even more difficult because when you go, you know, basically anywhere you go out, there's a lot of carbs that come with 
whatever it is that you're eating. Um, and so, you know, you go to Subway and you get bread, you go to a burger place and you get a bun, you know, you go to an Asian place and you get rice, um, or you go to an American place and you get like a side of potatoes or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, for it's about, hidden, you know, it's hidden in so many foods, you know, the sugar <laughs> and carbs and all of that uh-huh. stuff is just, you know, you don't, you know, if you're not looking at the ingredient list, most of the time you don't even know it's there. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, once you start looking at the ingredients uh, and the uh, nutrition facts on every single thing you're about to eat, it kind of opens your mind um, as to, you know, uh, some of these products and, and whatnot. Um, but yes, I mean, so, you know, for the past for the past 10 years after I adopted keto, I basically was just eating um, eggs uh, every day for breakfast um, and not really deviating from that. Um, and it was, very, you know, it was very tough because I used to eat a lot of cocoa puffs for breakfast and I used to eat a lot of uh, waffle crisps for breakfast. I used to eat a lot of cinnamon toast crunch for breakfast, and you know I used to love how the you know the cocoa puffs, for example, gets in the milk, where the uh, the kind of like the chocolateiness of it kind of gets into the milk, and then you have dark chocolate, you know, milk <laughs> along with your with your cereal. Um, and so everybody loves you know. that, right? <laughs> yep, 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 yeah, absolutely. And so I, I missed all those things, and um, it was about two years ago, actually. Um, I moved in with my girlfriend, um, and, you know, so I'd been, I'd been eating just eggs for breakfast for a long, long time. Um, and she is like the, you know, the total opposite. She loves to eat all sorts of different, like real fun and exciting foods for breakfast. Um, so she eats acai bowls and, you know, she eats bagel sandwiches, uh, you know, goes out for brunch and gets pancakes and French toast and, you know, all these like really fun things that, you know, are either loaded with sugar or kind of loaded with empty carbs. And so, you know, I'm there on the couch, you know, grouchy, <laughs> eating my hard-boiled eggs that I made over the weekend. And, uh, you know, she's eating some, you know, nice fancy acai bowl with all these different toppings on it that looks like it just came off of Instagram, right? <laughs> right. Um, and so I got real real upset about that. Um, and that's actually what, you know, that feeling is what actually led me to start baking my own cereal out of my kitchen, um, which was the first step towards starting Catalina Crunch. Um, I was baking the cereal, uh, uh, and I'd kind of gotten into low-carb baking. Um, so any of your, your listeners who are interested in that, you know, kind of using ingredients like almond flour or coconut flour um, instead of the typical wheat flour to kind of bake, um, you know, whether it's crackers or cookies or whatever it happens to be. Um, and so I was baking crackers at the time, and then I realized that I could also try to bake cereal kind of the same way if I just made you know, if, I, if you bake crackers, but then you make the crackers a little bit smaller and add some ridges to them, you kind of have like a Golden Grahams-like shape, right? <laughs> um, and so that's what I started doing. Um, and I thought that I could make uh, chocolate, you know, like like Cocoa Puffs, I could, try, I could make them chocolatey just by adding um, cacao to it. Um, and so I was adding cacao to this cracker recipe with an almond flour base and then eating it with almond milk in the morning. Um, and that was the first kind of how I got into it. And, you know, honestly, those things tasted awful. <laughs> um, but I, uh, uh, you know, cause I didn't realize that chocolate was not just cacao. It was also like milk and sugar. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. so if you eat just raw cacao, it really tastes like you're eating soil. Um, and so they did not taste good, but compared to eating, you know, hard boiled eggs for 10 years. And I was, you know, just happy to have something different basically. Um, and so that, that, you know, that's how, how Catalina Crunch really started was in my kitchen that way. Um, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't that recipe obviously that, that we're using today, but I kind of learned and I learned and I learned and I started tweaking it. Right. I almost like took it as a challenge when it didn't taste good at first. I was like, all right, I'm going to make this taste better. Like, what do I got to do? Right. Um, and then I started thinking about what kind of cereal I wanted to create. And after, three, four months of, of trying different recipes and eating them every day for breakfast, I kind of got to something which I eventually liked. Um, and then, uh, really actually still didn't turn it into a business cause I wasn't thinking about that at all at the time. Um, it was just by happenstance, a friend of mine had started keto and he was complaining to me in the park about how he was not finding anything to eat for breakfast besides eggs, and he was really upset about it. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I, I know exactly your struggle. You know, try some of the cereal I made. And he really liked it. He actually Venmoed me for it, um, $8.99, I still remember. Um, I was not expecting him to do that. I didn't ask him to do that or anything like that. I just brought him, you know, a little bit of cereal in a plastic baggie, basically, which I had baked. Um, but he Venmoed me for it, um, and that's when it sort of hit me. I was like, huh you know, maybe I could actually make some money doing this. 
Um, and I didn't do anything about it still, to be completely honest. I just kept baking it. Um, but a few days later, he had told a few friends about it. Um, and so they were then asking me if they could try some. And then they had a few friends and they had a few friends. And after a few more months, I wasn't baking it just for myself. I was baking it for like 10, 12 different people. Um, and that's when I realized, huh, you know, I either got to turn this into a business or I got to tell these people I'm not baking it for them anymore because now I'm spending, you know, so much time every Sunday baking these massive baking sheets worth of cereal. Right. <laughs> um, and I had to choose between the two. Um, my, I guess, kind of entrepreneurial instincts kicked in. I saw, I thought what I thought was a very interesting opportunity because there's not, you know, basically every cereal in the grocery store is just you know, chock full of empty carbs in the form of, you know, bleached wheat or corn or rice. Um, and Tons then, sugar, you know, with right? a lot of sugar. Yep, exactly. And so I thought, Hey, you know, we can't be the only people who are having this problem, um, who wish that this product existed. Um, you know, I'm going to give this a go. Um, and so I, uh, that's when I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this into a company and, uh, that's what that's what I did. Mm-hmm. So really, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't this idea of, hey, you know, I want to come up with a great brand and I want to make lots of money. It was more born out of a out of a health crisis, but also <laughs> your desire for better quality of food, better tasting food and things like that. I mean, I mean, that's look health. Health is a game changer for for all of us. And, and I'm amazed at how many people I run into in this business who have developed a great product like yours that was born out of some level of health crises and then wanting something better, you know, whether Mm -hmm. it's cookies or cereal or sweets or snacks or, you know, you know, main meals, whatever it is. I mean, there are, there are just hundreds and hundreds of stories out there of people very similar uh, to you that came up with some of these great, great products. And heck, a lot of them started right in the kitchen, uh, like, like you mentioned. Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, I think it's, it's, uh, it takes a strong will and a strong desire to start a company, obviously, um, because it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and you're, it's a very bumpy ride. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, it's un- unbelievable now that I'm meeting other CEOs of food companies, how many of them actually have type 1 diabetes, for example, um, or have um, inflammation issues, have PCOS, have IBS or IBD, you know, have epilepsy, have some sort of thing which got them into nutrition, which then got them into, you know, trying to figure out how to solve their problems. It's, uh, it's uncanny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then once you start a food company, after a couple of years in the business, you're there, what the heck did I start a food company for? I must be crazy. Because <laughs> it's a crazy um, business. Yes, yes, no, it, it absolutely is. I mean, I am uh, learning new things every day. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we've been selling the product uh, just online uh, right now, our cereal, um, and so that has been going very, very well for us. Um, but obviously, we're looking to get into stores as well, um, and that's like you know, it's a totally different beast. You know, when you're selling it online, you're just making, you know, you're we're just baking our cereal putting it in boxes, shipping it out to consumers, right? right. <laughs> it all works very seamlessly. But when you want to start selling it in stores, you have brokers, you have distributors, you have buyers, you have category review cycles, you have you know uh, on-cycle, you have off-cycle, you have people getting fired and leaving, um, you have Oh, you know, it just turns into the supply chain gets twice as long, basically. And so um, it's definitely a, a interesting beast to uh, to tackle. Totally different animal. So that's a great that's a great story. Appreciated hearing it. Um, I read a little bit about it and it really seemed interesting, but it's always always good to hear it um, firsthand from you. So let's let's talk about um, the product itself. Let's talk about the brand itself, like some for the basics for, for my listening audience. It's unfamiliar with us. Talk to me about it. Like you, you mentioned, it's a cereal and you mentioned one of them is kind of like the, the old classic cocoa puffs and things like that. But what do you, how many, mm-hmm. how many skews do you have? What, what, you know, what's it like? What the, what is the product like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's a uh, uh, cereal, um, as we discussed, as, as far as the flavors, um, we're totally basically taking the super, super duper good cereals from your childhood and remaking them in a zero sugar, 
you know, low carb manner. Um, and so our first was dark chocolate cocoa puffs, um, because that was my favorite cereal growing up. Um, then we made cinnamon toast, uh, modeled after cinnamon toast crunch, obviously. <laughs> um, then we had our third flavor, um, maple waffle. Um, and now our fourth flavor actually, which we just launched today is uh, honey graham. Um, so those are the four flavors we have. Um, and then as far as, you know, kind of the, the, you know, the other aspect to it, you know, the big problem with, with all these cereals is they're just loaded with sugar, you know, loaded with empty carbs. Typically it's, you know, anywhere from 30 to 50% sugar, um, you know, more, even more so in some cases than like gummy bears and other types of candy are. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and then the rest of it is, uh, you know, basically just empty, empty carbs from bleached wheat flour, um, corn flour, rice, things like that. Um, and so our product is made, you know, it's baked from a combination of organic, uh, yellow pea protein, um, and then a combination of plant fibers as well. Um, and, uh, we use monk fruit actually to sweeten it. Um, so it does not have any sugar in it. Um, but it has kind of a, a very similar sweetness, uh, to the, to the other cereals. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the, the product. And we actually also have a line of, uh, keto friendly cheese bites. Um, they're kind of like, uh, low carb Cheez-Its, um, which we actually also recently launched. Um, those I, I think also are really cool because it kind of follows along this same theme here, which is a lot of the foods that you grew up loving, you, 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 they turn out to not be what you thought they were. <laughs> um, so, so Cheez-Its, for example, you might think that you're just eating slices of cheese, um, that have been crunchified, but in reality you're eating, you know, empty carbs from, wheat flour, um, that's been doused in, you know, cheese seasoning, <laughs> which is very different. Right. Um, right. so we kind of remade cheese. It's in our model, which is it's a hundred percent cheese that's been basically crunchified. Um, but it's, um, no other ingredients. So, you know, basically, you know, zero carbs, um, high in protein, a lot of healthy fats, things like that. Right. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about that, that, that cheese snack a little bit later, but there's some, so are you telling me that there are, I mean, functional benefits to this, which is which is really cool if, if there is, because most, I mean, what what I read often and, and, and look at ingredients is you can get a lot of indulgent type type products that don't necessarily have the bad stuff in them, but they don't necessarily have anything in them that's that's good for you either, or that helps you. Is there is there a functional benefit to this? You, I think you, you you rambled off a few few ingredients there that, from my perspective, would have some functional benefits. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, one functional benefit uh, is from the uh, organic yellow pea protein that we use. Um, so the cereal is very high in protein. Um, you know, a lot of folks, I think, uh, trying to get more protein uh, into their eating regimen, right? Whether you're trying to, um, you know, build muscle, uh, trying to stay full longer, improve bone density, all sorts of things like that. Um, and then, you know, we, we also use a lot of fiber um, in our cereal as well. Um, so, you know, fiber is helping you stay regular, um, also helping you you know, get full and then stay full as opposed to the cereals, which kind of, um, you know, cocoa puffs, which tastes amazing. But then an hour later at nine 30 in the morning, you're, you're crashing again, right. And you're feeling hungry. Um, so, uh, a lot of fiber, uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, we're trying to make the, we're not just trying to give you stuff that tastes good, but is bad for you or trying the, I mean, first and foremost, I eat it every day myself. And, you know, I care a lot about what it is that I eat. Um, and so as a result, you know, I want to eat things with a lot of protein. I want to eat things with a lot of fiber. I want to eat things that have a good source of healthy fats to help, um, <clears throat> digest vitamins and minerals and whatnot. Um, so yeah, all those things are really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, the functional aspect is super important to people, but if the products don't taste good, people aren't going to eat them. They're not going to, you know, you're not going to get kids to eat this if they don't enjoy it over time. You're not going to get people to, to continue to buy and experience your product if it doesn't taste good. Um, mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. back in, in the, uh, the late nineties, we helped, um, Dr. Atkins develop the Atkins mm. brand and help take that mainstream and, so many of the products just didn't taste that great right <laughs> out of the gate. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but it was amazing how people were so starved for 
this type of product that they were willing. And, and, and looking back, you know, the ingredient list was not that great either, but they eventually mm. were able to develop, you know, great tasting, low carb products. And now, you know, nowadays you see, see it everywhere. People are coming up with great low carb um, options, you know, from pretty much anything from ice cream to cookies to bread to, to anything. But, you know, the taste, I mean, I think taste has been, you know, elevated to a point where if it doesn't taste good, you're just not going to make it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. I remember in the um, 90s, early 2000s, as you're talking about, um, going with my dad to Mother's Market, uh, which is a kind of health food store in, in uh, California. And I remember just absolutely hating going in there. I mean, it was like uh, they, they focused a lot on on your quote-unquote healthy foods. And so you had a lot of like that kind of craft brown cardboard-looking packaging, a lot of stuff that was being marketed as, you know, raw and, and this and that, um, and just tasted absolutely awful. Yeah, tasted raw. <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. So how, so that's, that's a good segue is how, how have consumer eating and lifestyle trends uh, impacted your brand? Yep, absolutely. Um, so I think they've impacted it quite significantly. Um, first, you have keto, obviously, uh, which is, you know, a few years ago, no one had ever heard about it. Um, certainly when I started it, no one had really ever heard about it. Um, and now, you know, you have upwards of 20 million Americans um, who are either doing it or know about it, you know, or I think more generally are understanding the lessons behind it, you know, as far as what keto has taught us about good fats versus bad fats um, and what it's taught us about the role, you know, the, the extended role that, that fats play in the body. Um, so, you know, I'd say that trend is definitely playing into it a lot. Um, you know, we have, I think in more generally speaking, if you zoom out a little bit, we have, you know, basically hundreds of millions of people now who I think are really placing a strong value and not just, not, not just money, but a strong moral value on taking care of their bodies. Um, you know, taking care of their minds, um, taking care of uh, their health um, in a way that folks didn't before. Um, and so, you know, I think that's a total perspective change, right? Um, and, and, you know, really in a, in a moral sense, like your, your health has, a, you know, a real value to it. Um, and so folks are not just looking for the cheapest thing on the block anymore. Um, they're looking you know, to eat things that can really, you know, help them accomplish different things. I mean, you talked about functional ingredients, for example, right? That's another example of that, where people are looking for things and they're tying what they eat to what it is that they're trying to accomplish, right? They're trying to be more focused or they're trying to get better sleep or they're trying to build muscle, right? They're trying to live longer. I mean, all sorts of people are experimenting with with all sorts of different things. So I think that's another big trend um, in this space. Um, Another trend I would say, is, uh, you know, regarding, um, you know, as that, as that relates to exercise, right? We have a lot of folks that are, that are loving our cereal from the CrossFit community, a lot of folks loving the cereal that do a lot of, whether it's SoulCycle or Barry's Boot Camp or Peloton or any of these other sorts of new, this new wave of, of exciting alternative fitness gym membership regimens mm-hmm. <laughs> of sorts for, for all sorts of people. Um, you know, a lot of those types of folks um, are eating Catalina Crunch and, and really enjoying it. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that's another trend that's, uh, that's kind of really impacting us here. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the awareness that's out there as far as better quality, better ingredient products, the awareness that's out there, on the fact that, hey, you know what, sugar, refined sugar and refined flour, they really are bad for you. <laughs> so mm-hmm, stay away mm-hmm. from them. That awareness is is at an all-time high. And I think that that, you know, when they look to brands like yours, that's going to do nothing but, but help you guys. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your journey. You know, you mentioned earlier how you kind of started this by, you know, firing some things up in your oven. And again, that's a familiar story to me. I mean, I've heard it so many different times by people starting mm-hmm. something out of their kitchen. But, you know, it's a journey moving from concept to, you know, actually, you know, selling, you know, selling products. So let's talk about some of the milestones um, along the way, uh, how, what was your first experience in trying to to scale up your your production, going from you know making it for a few of your buddies to okay, now I've got to actually make this in a significantly bigger run. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I bet that took me about a year to figure out, to be honest. Um, it was not an easy process. I didn't know anything about the food industry or about food prior to starting Catalina Crunch. Um, so that was very challenging for me. Um, and yeah, uh, you can't make things in your oven and then sell them to consumers. <laughs> um, and so you have to take all these other sorts of things like food safety and the regulation very seriously, obviously. Um, and so as far as challenges, I mean, I think that, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with, you know, at first I was just making it for a group of people, um, you know, friends, right. Um, and it was, it was relatively time consuming, but you know, it, it wasn't too bad. You know, I was just rolling out dough and then I started just rolling out more dough <laughs> and then putting that dough onto baking sheets, baking it. And then, you know, out was coming cereal. Right. Um, but then when, you know, now we have over, you know, I mean, over a thousand, close to 2000 pouches of cereal that we sell each and every day, um, you know, can't make that out of my kitchen <laughs> any longer. Um, and so kind of figuring out, how to do more, you know, is, is definitely the, the key challenge there. Um, and so, you know, we had, for example, in our case, we had to move from first a first, you know, I was in my kitchen, this is before it was a business. Then I moved into a commercial kitchen um, and was doing it there. Um, and when you're in a commercial kitchen, you get some more resources, right? Like I was able to use a bread oven that had 30 racks rather than my oven at home, which has five racks. And you're able to use, um, you know, make, um, dough in bigger quantities because they have larger mixing bowls, right? Where you can make the dough so you can make more dough more quickly. Um, and then they have, you know, some other tools, like some, some, some like kind of, you know, like semi-automated rollers, for example, which help you roll dough more quickly, um, all sorts of things like that. Um, but frankly, quickly, really quickly outgrew that situation as well. Um, and so, you know, now we have opened up our own bakery. Um, we have, uh, at this point, close to 50 bread ovens. Um, each bread oven has uh, 90 racks, um, have a whole, whole bunch of bakers here um, and a whole bunch of dough <laughs> that we're making um, every day. And now, you know, even that is getting to be small. And so I'm actually out here looking for a new bakery for us to, you know, move um, all of our equipment to as we speak. So um, this is kind of the, the process in a nutshell. Yeah, and it's 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 always an ongoing process. Um, now I know that right now you're only available online. What what are your next st steps as far as getting into real retailers? I mean, have you approached retailers, and you know what has been their their receptiveness, if any, you're finding any hurdles there? Um, yeah, I mean, so we have we have been approaching retailers. Um, that actually process has been going very smoothly so far. I've been very uh, um, well, smoothly, relatively speaking, I guess. <laughs> um, but you know, we've had a lot of early success. To be honest, um, we are probably about a month away from announcing the launch of the cereal in about a thousand stores. Um, so that will be um, very exciting. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a totally different beast because now you're talking about uh, selling to buyers, right, at stores rather than selling directly to consumers. So you're not you're not a business to consumer business anymore. Now you're you know you're kind of functioning as a B two B sales manager, right? Um, and so uh, that has been a, a, a learn definitely a, a learning curve for me associated with that. Um, but uh, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think the the good part is though is that we're at a good time here where buyers are realizing that you know stores are changing. Um, you know, you had the, the the industry is is broken into two segments. They call it conventional versus natural. Um, natural used to be uh, a conference with you know a couple thousand people in Anaheim ten years ago, and now it's a conference in Anaheim with over a hundred thousand people. <laughs> um, so you know, it has grown tremendously. Um, and you know, what's interesting is now you have, you have the natural stores, quote unquote, you know, say whole foods and sprouts and fresh time being the biggest, um, all the way down to small individual stores. But now the stores that are quote unquote conventional, um, you know, stores like Walmart or Kroger, or Costco, whatever it may be, they are also, you know, starting to include <clears throat> what they're calling natural sets. So, you know, they might have a natural aisle, or they might have two natural aisles, or then now stores are moving to this kind of hybrid model where they have both 
conventional products and natural products in every aisle, right? So you have like a conventional cereal, and then you have your natural cereal, and then you have your conventional crackers, and then you have your natural crackers. Um, and so because of this trend, um, I think the buyers are much, much more receptive to our cereal um, and more interested in it than they would have been, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I think that that has been very positive. Other thing that's been very positive, frankly, is just the fact that we were able to start online. So, you know, the product is proven, you know, we're selling, you know, thousands of pouches each day, um, which means that we've already kind of scaled up our our baking quite a bit um, and and they don't have to be as concerned about whether we're going to be able to actually, you know, send them product and fulfill the product, you know, if it takes off in their store. Right. Um, so that gives them a level of assurance. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of positive things happening right now if you're a small natural foods company and you're trying to go into retail. Yeah. I mean, I think mainstream is really where to go and where you want to be with, you know, with a brand like this. I mean, 15, you know, 15 years ago, your point of entry was to, yes, you know, got to go into the Whole Foods. You got to go into, you know, these other, really, Whole Foods was really the only big one back then. Or then you go into the smaller, you know, smaller retailers. But nowadays, you know, depending on where you live, you know, you're seeing, yes, you're seeing these hybrid models, but, you know, depending on the demographic of where you live, all of the mainstream grocers now have significant areas for for natural products where people are looking for products like this. And buyers now have become so accustomed not only to look for these types of products, but they're demanding them. They're getting excited about it. when you go in, they say, yeah, when can I get it on shelf here? How quickly? Mm-hmm. And that's where mm-hmm. brands can sometimes get in trouble over committing and not being able to fulfill, you know, what, what they're looking for. But it is a different, you know, it's a different animal when you get into that retail space because, yeah, you've got to sell You've got to sell to buyers. You have to have a great, compelling story. You have to be able to convince them, hey, I can fulfill what what you're looking for. But then the bigger challenge that, that many brands get faced with is once you get on shelf, how do you get it off shelf? How do you get consumers to, to buy it? Whereas at companies, at, at, at stores like Whole Foods and places like that, consumers are, are, are predisposed to to look for and try new stuff. You know, they might see something like this, hey, that looks great, I'm going to try it. But in mainstream grocery, it's a little bit more of a challenge because online you can see who's bought it, you know, you can remarket to them. It's really an easy process of, you know, they're in your email database, you can email them coupons and get them to try more. But when you're in store, not only you have to get to trial, but now you've got to get that repeat, you know, business moving them from, hey, I tried it and I liked it to now you're a brand loyal customer. So it's it's a challenge, but it's definitely where, you know, where you need to be to, to really take the brand to the next big stage. Yep. No, you absolutely nailed it. That's 100 percent accurate. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited for it. And I'll be excited to see see where it goes. Let's let's explore and talk a little bit about the brand itself. What what about the name? OK, <laughs> where did the name come from? Does it have any special meaning? I can't I can't help it when I think of Catalina. I think of Catalina wine mixer. Sorry. It's just <laughs> the first thing that just comes to my mind. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yep. it, it definitely has, you know, rolls off your tongue real well. It's got a nice pneumatic to it. Was there was there meaning behind the name, or is it just kind of sounded cool and you wanted to wanted to do it? No, no. That I mean, that was that was exactly what I was going for. Um, so I first, you know, I guess kind of how I came up with the name. I was first thinking that I wanted crunch in the name um, because I felt that was a big benefit um, and selling point. You know, people like eating things that are crunchy, right? Um, so once I decided that crunch was going to be in there, I was looking for another word that started with C. Uh, so you could kind of get that alliteration with crunch. Um, and I was kind of trying to think of something which was, you know, kind of upscale and premium sounding, but in a 
like new American way, if that makes sense, rather than like an old English or Italian way, right. like a Chobani or something like that. Um, and I actually grew up in California, um, off the coast of Catalina Island. Um, and so I had thought about Catalina Island, you know, if you're a, a Southern, if you're from Southern California, you know, someone who is, you know, going to Catalina Island, that's like, you know, a nice place to go and <laughs> a bougie kind of thing to do, especially the Catalina wine mixer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt a lot of people, you know, my generation would know about the Catalina wine mixer from, you know, from the movie Step Brothers. Yep. Uh, and so I, I went ahead and said, hey, let's, you know, let's, let's take Catalina. And it's easy to say, easy to pronounce, easy to spell. People know it, um, has it has a little angle of humor to it. Um, and it's, you know, uh, right, right across, uh, you know, 45 minute uh, boat ride from uh, where I grew up. So um, that's how I how it came to be. Interesting. I like it. How about your, how, what is your key messaging? So, so when someone kind of corners you and you got 10 seconds to tell them, you know, about your brand and what it is, how, what would you describe your, your key messaging is? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I mean, simple, right? Uh, keto, low carb, zero sugar cereal, um, which, uh, tastes like, uh, the cereals you grew up eating. Um, so, you know, dark chocolate, maple waffle, cinnamon toast, honey graham. Um, that's it. So the keto on there is, 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 do you have any concerns about that being, I don't know, trendy and going away and your brand being so tightly tied to the keto? I mean, it's great when things are trending up, but if they go away, are there any thoughts around that? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think the first thing people definitely, I mean, that's the first thing that crosses people's mind often is, um, they think about keto as a fad, like they think of Atkins as a fad, or they think of the South beach diet as a fad or any one of these other sorts of things. Right. (laughs) Um, and so a question I get a lot, um, you know, as far as, as far as keto, um, you know, it's based on sound principles, um, sound scientific principles, um, which I think is very important. Um, the thing that I think is even more important, though, is that um, there's a huge community of folks on keto um, growing quickly, enabled by the Internet. You know, and so it's a very grassroots bottom up movement, um, whereas typically all of the other you know, quote unquote, uh, uh, these, these types of things like Atkins you would think about in the past, um, they're top down, right. Um, Atkins is top down, uh, you know, Weight Watchers, it's top down. Um, and so I think there's just so much more, uh, trust and goodwill built up in keto because it's a bottom up grassroots community. It's not uh, the, the name of a company, which someone is taking advantage of. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, I think that is a huge difference. And so, you know, when you, when you are, you know, say your goal is to, you know, lose weight, for example, um, on Weight Watchers, you are, you're trusting that the brand's testimonials are accurate and true. Um, and you know, I think like motivation can be very difficult when it comes to switching up your eating regimen and then sticking with it. Um, and when you're starting to doubt whether or not people are, this is actually working. Um, you know, that's when it's easiest to quit, easiest to give up, easiest to give in. Um, but on keto, I mean, there's just hands down, no comparison. You can go on Instagram, you can go on a Facebook group, you can see, millions of success stories really at this point, um, from everyday folks, just like yourself posting online about how they gained muscle mass, lost weight, whatever it is that they were trying to accomplish, how they feel better, you know, how they have more mental clarity, all those sorts of things. And I think that that's, you know, honestly, that is, uh, is a game changer. Um, and I think that, you know, it's a community too. It's not just a one way thing. (laughs) It's not just a company talking and then people, listening and buying it's people talking back and forth amongst one another. Right. Yeah. Um, and so this is, this is a, a true network and it's a true community in, in every sense of the word. Um, and so I think it's from that perspective, I think it's fundamentally different than any of these other sorts of, um, eating trends that you might think to associate with keto. It's a different beast. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. I mean, I think there are indicators there that, it, that it's transitioned from, you know, fad to micro trend and has 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 a lot of the indicators there that it could 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 be macro 
and and really be around for for a long time. But you know, we'll time always tells on that on that sort of thing. But I think it's a great. <laughs> I think it's great positioning, and and you could certainly adapt if if needed be. So one of the things that that really interests me is the various categories in the food business. So cereal category is like huge, <laughs> and, it's, and it's always been controlled by these the massive big guys that, that, that are out there. I mean, how, how has that kind of played into your thinking at all? I mean, were you at all concerned about breaking into this category, how difficult it might be? And then once you break into the category, you know, what the respondents might be from, from some of these big guys? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was, it's always been on my mind. Um, I think the biggest thing that was on my mind is investor after investor after investor kept reminding me that the cereal category in general is shrinking. It's not growing. <laughs> um, and so, uh, that was very difficult, uh, at first from a fundraising perspective. Um, but, uh, I mean, you know, every space has competitors, um, large competitors, small competitors. You know, I think there are pros and cons to going into big spaces versus going into small spaces versus trying to start your own category, um, you know, from scratch. Uh, I think that for us, you know, one of the benefits, for example, of going into cereal is you know that you're tackling a large category and so you can really galvanize people behind that, right? Whether it's investors, whether it's um, team members, uh, whoever it happens to be, like we're going after a big thing, right? <laughs> you know, if you are trying to sell into a category that's $20 million in size, you know, there's just not a lot to take, even if you end up taking it. Um, and so it, it, I think it can be more difficult to make, to make people excited. Um, you know, it's like, it's almost as if you're going to do something, let's really go do it. Right. (laughs) Um, you know, so I think that that's one component to it. I mean, when it comes to the big companies, I think we are benefiting a little bit from the fact that they see cereal as like a cash cow slash slow, um, you know, zero growth slash negative growth category. And so that's not something which they are they've really actively invested in. And I think that shows in the products. Um, They are not really coming out with a lot of new cereals. Um, They're not trying a lot of new things. Um, They will rebrand things and they will, you know, try to make them a little bit different. But in reality, it's, you know, they're not changing the ingredients very drastically, right? Um, And that shows through to consumers. Um, So from that perspective, it's almost like, yeah, we have big competitors, but they're not really competitors, if that makes sense. Um, and they're not really even all that focused on this business. You know, they're focused on other line extensions and other parts of the grocery store and things like that. Um, so I think, you know, I think those things are both are both very, um, both very beneficial to us. Um, third thing I would just say is like, <clears throat> there's so much different stuff going on right now in the food industry. Um, you know, you can be a big company and have a whole bunch of resources, but you also need to know where to deploy those resources and how to focus those resources. And so, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a, a matter of, well, you know, General Mills or Kellogg's can't possibly figure out how to make this product. <laughs> it's more a matter of, okay, we have billions of dollars to spend. We have, you know, 10,000 product ideas. Which of these do we want to pursue? And how, you know, like how strongly do we want to pursue them? Um, and so, you know, that, that I think is a, a little bit of a different, a little bit of a different dynamic there. Yeah. I mean, big, big companies are, are notoriously slow to, to change and adapt to, to consumer behavior and trends and things like that. And I think what you're seeing more of is, you know, companies like Kellogg's, General Mill, Post, you know, the big cereal companies that have been around forever, they're buying their way into into innovation so they're not necessarily coming up with the great stuff like a product like yours but they're they're buying companies that can and and they're not necessarily rebranding them as a kellogg's or a post company but they're they're allowing the branding to stay intact and they just own the company so they are they're getting into the space they are adapting but they're not adapting quick and i think you know the reason they're not adapting quick is the same reason why you know, potato chips are still, you know, the, the number one snack, you know, in, in the world. I mean, there's not even a close second out there is because most of the people, you know, in this country and most of the people in this world don't necessarily eat better for you. So they, you know, they still are able to, 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 to prey on the people who, you know, who really want 
sugary cereals or who really want snacks and things that are that are bad for them. It's just like fast food. I mean, you know, why, why, you know, McDonald's and Burger King and all these places, they still grow, but they're slowly adapting towards, you know, some better for you stuff. But 99% of their stuff is still garbage. And that's just, that's just the way it is because there is still a market that's out there for it, but they're changing and they're changing slowly. Um, but I don't, I don't see anything revolutionary coming from coming from the big guys. Do you? Uh, nope, I do not either. I think that's a that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. What are what are some some big hurdles that are, that are in front of you right now? I mean, we talked about retail, and you know that's not so much of a, a hurdle for you at this point. That's really an opportunity, and you're 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 moving towards that. But what are some what are some hurdles and challenges that that you're faced with as as an entrepreneur? Uh, with a new product. Yeah. Um, I think like, you know, it's funny you mentioned retail as a hurdle versus a challenge. I think that's an interesting way to put it. A lot of these sorts of things can be thought of as a hurdle, you know, in one sense or thought of as an opportunity in another sense, right. Um, depending on how you're looking at it. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, I think internally, for example, where you're, you know, you're trying to scale up your business very quickly. Um, and you're trying to find, great new team members to bring on board. Um, so that's always challenging. Um, you know, often days I feel like I'm doing four jobs at once um, and, and just trying to do everything that I can. Um, and so, you know, add all the jobs that I have to do to then all the people that we need to find to, to help us out. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. Um, so I think that, you know, that, that is, uh, is challenging. I mean, I think it's, it's, that is especially the case for a lot of folks like myself who are kind of more, analytically minded, um, and have not necessarily had a lot of management experience in the past. Um, it's, it's tough and difficult to, um, trust other people to do things, um, and to see people do things and not exactly the way that you would want them to be done. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate to have found, um, some great team members that are working with us right now. Um, and, you know, need to, need to obviously continue doing that and really accelerate that. Um, so, that, that, I mean, I would say that's the, that's the biggest one. Um, you obviously always have, okay, what new foods are we going to come out with? What new flavors are we going to come out with? But, you know, I mean, I think that's more of like a, an incremental process. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which leads me to the next question. What, what do you think is next for you? What do you see happening for Catalina Crunch, um, in 2020? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one is we are going to be in a whole bunch of stores and so we're going to need to make even more, <laughs> figure out how to make even more cereal. And that's what I'm kind of been preparing for. Um, so I think that's one thing. Um, another thing is, is yeah, you know, I think we folks more than anything are more interested in trying new flavors. Um, and so we want to be able to, um, to meet that. Um, you know, a lot of new people saying, Hey, really love your chocolate. Would love to try seeing you guys make this flavor or that flavor. You know, I really love fruit loops growing up. Can you try to make something like that? Um, so, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of that at the same time though, you need to be disciplined and not have, you know, 60, 70 different flavors, which then becomes a logistics challenge. So, um, also need to be disciplined about cutting out ones that, you know, folks just aren't too interested in. Um, so I think, you know, kind of balancing those two things, um, figuring out how we can go from making, you know, <clears throat> uh, 10,000 pouches a day to how do we make a hundred thousand pouches a day, for example. Um, those things should keep me uh, plenty busy. Yeah, I believe it. It sounds that way. Hey, as we wind down the show, I just will wrap up with a few little fun questions that are kind of personal towards towards you. So, tell me tell me a few um, few of your favorite food or beverage brands. Ooh, favorite food or beverage brands. Um, uh, good question. Oh man, uh, I mean, besides Catalina Crunch, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, uh, I really like Kettle and Fire uh, Bone Broth. Um, Justin, uh, one of the co-founders, good friend of mine, um, really love what they've done. I think as far as pioneering a new category um, and developing some real innovative uh, packaging in order to make that shelf stable, so it's so much more convenient for folks to actually consume their both bone broth. 
um, you know, I think that's really, really exciting. Um, I really like Mammoth Creamery and the the folks over there and what, what they're doing with their keto ice cream. Um, you know, I think that's that's really exciting. They're a bit of a, a smaller company, but I think you're going to see them grow really quickly next year. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Four Sigmatic, uh, you know, I think they, especially this year, have really accelerated their, you know, launching of all sorts of new things. Um, you know, I saw they actually launched a um, face mask, like a beauty product. Um, and I thought that was really cool to see a food company not just feeling like they have to confine themselves to food, um, but seeing how they could take what they've been doing and kind of and kind of move outwards into a different into a different vertical or industry, if you will. Um, so I, I would I would put those as my top three. All things. right, cool. Who who inspires you? Who inspires me? Um, my dad inspires me the most. That's cool. That's good to hear. I hope my kids say that about me. <laughs> <laughs> From a social media perspective, who who do you see out there that's really disrupting things and really gets attention and, and just is really working? Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I think there's so many people on social media these days. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's this whole influencer culture, which I think is becoming quite toxic. I think in order to really, um, succeed on social media, you have to be really putting out things which are really next level, really valuable, really different. Um, and, and you got to be really committed to it. Um, I would say, uh, one, um, uh, video slash podcast I'm a big fan of is this, um, series called thinking basketball. Um, it is a, um, uh, kind of analytics guy who's brought the world of, you know, I guess money ball from baseball, if you will, to basketball. Um, not him himself, but he's part of that movement. Um, he, breaks down, uh, the playoff games, for example, when the NBA was, was on, he was breaking those down at just a totally different level of detail, um, and attention and understanding, um, than you would typically see on ESPN. Um, and so I thought like, I think that is just, it's just unbelievably more detailed. Um, you know, ESPN, you have some talking head talking about the game and what they saw and what they liked and what they didn't like. And, you know, thinking basketball, he's got the, um, you know, one of the film analysis directors for one of the NBA teams who's not in the playoffs, analyzing the actual game film for him and then taking the listeners through that experience. Um, and I think it's just, totally different. Um, you know, so much more higher quality than ESPN. And I think you can see that in his YouTube channel. I mean, if you go look at the growth stats, I started listening to it and he had like 3000 subscribers. Um, and now just a couple months later, I think he almost has a hundred thousand subscribers. Um, and I think it's just, if, if what you're doing is really, really, really valuable, um, folks will take notice. Yeah, absolutely. Krishna, it's been uh, fun having you on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed our time together. So um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the show. I'm, I'm really thankful uh, for you taking time to tune in and listen today. Um, if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the Pepper Podcast on iTunes or your favorite venue. Uh, and I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I can be reached at jamie at alabach.com. That's J-A-M-I-E at alabach, A-L-L-E-B-A-C-H dot com. Until next time, let's grow your brand together. You've been listening to Jamie Alabach on the Peppered Podcast, where we bring seasoned talk for food and beverage marketing and brand professionals. Let's grow your brand together.